episode of Resilient Stories podcast where we share the grit and glory behind the stories of amazing people like you who have bounced back from failure and adversity going to live their best lives on purpose. Today's show is being sponsored by Million Dollar Business Pathway. We believe everyone has a story to tell and to sell. If you want to learn how to tell and sell your story, go to visit, visit tawatson.com under the programs and products page. Click on Million Dollar Business Pathway to get yourself started. Are you guys ready for another amazing episode today? Joining me, I have the young man who's kind of like my little brother, from a distance, man. Very proud of this young man, Dr. Ryan Ross. Brother, how you doing, man? Welcome to the show. Right on, right on. Thank you for having me, man. I'm doing well, just, just sitting there hanging out, doing a little work, little little parenting, educating, all of the above at the same time in this good old quarantine. That's what I'm talking about. And y'all getting ready for a big blizzard down in Colorado as well, man, so. Yeah, yeah, about to hunker down, get my Instacart on. I'm not even going out the house. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. So, Dr. Ross, man, for the folks who don't know you out there, man, just give them a little brief overview of what you do, man, and how they get in contact with you if they want to reach out to you. Yeah, man, Dr. Ryan Ross, I'm uh, I'm an educator and actualization coach. Uh, professionally, I've been an educator for 20 years. I work in the community college system as our chief equity uh, officer and our chief student affairs officer. And then in my personal life, I run a business called Startup Enterprises, where we where we do life coaching and individual coaching, helping people actualize. And uh, we spend a lot of time doing leadership in the community, um, the service through the community through a uh, nonprofit called the Urban Leadership Foundation, where we develop leaders and and then make sure we we're giving back to our community in every way that we can. Yes, I love it, man. And uh, and um, Dr. Ross is doing just that in itself. I don't know if you guys can tell how happy I am today, man. I'm just excited you got two brothers coming from five points uh community in denver colorado man who are sitting here as doctors today man mm -hmm. both went to the same high school he came in a little bit after me we inspired him to go out to the same high school and do what he's doing man so it's great to see um that my efforts to go out to mullen high school opened up the door for uh dr ryan ross and and others to do the same thing man so very very proud and honored to have you on the show today as well brother and for you guys out there know this is my guy so uh, Dr. Ross, we're, we're going to start off, you know, um, the purpose of the, the podcast is to really give our listening audience a chance to, you know, introduce them to successful brothers like yourself and have you talk us through some of the challenges or a challenge you had in your life. So our listening audience can give the blueprint in terms of how to overcome obstacles they may be facing or someone else may be facing in life. So I'm going to start off with my first question. It is, it is um, what's been the biggest obstacle you've had to overcome uh, personally or professionally in your life? You know, I, I think that's a really great question, Tommy. And, and oftentimes when we think about that, think, think think people think outwardly. They think about the different isms we face, all the different challenges as African-Americans, especially as African-American male we have. But um, when I really think about it, man, my biggest obstacle was my own mindset and myself, mm -hmm. right? Um, there was a time where just based on the way I grew up and based on what I saw, I thought literally that the only thing that I was destined for was you know, it was gangs, drugs, or, yeah. or just poverty, right? Um, and so I really had to, I had to recognize that those were curable conditions and I had to do some different things um, and, 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 and really take my life. Yes. 
that that's powerful. And, and for our listening audience who aren't necessarily familiar with Five Points and know a little bit about my story, but tell me about your story, how you grew up in Five Points as well. Yeah, man. So I grew up in Five Points, Denver, Eastside, Denver, um, and um, single mom, six brothers and sisters. You know, had a stepdad who came in and out, and every time he came in, there there was there was pain. You know, there was domestic violence, there was abuse, there was drugs, or all those things, um, and and poverty all the time. And so, as a young man looking around, I wanted to, you know, help my family, right? And so, when you when you're looking to help, and you and you don't really know where to go, you don't really see anything. You see what's in your environment, and so very quickly. You know, there are individuals who preyed on kids like me, right? Seeing, you know, you wanted some nice shoes, you wanted some food, you wanted some stuff. And so next thing you know, here's the smooth brother from the neighborhood driving Cadillac saying, hey, you know, let me uh, deliver this package for me, man. I'll put some money in your pocket. And you say, okay, you hop on your mountain bike. And six months later, you're a full-on drug mule in your own community. Right. Not even understanding the gravity of, of what you're doing. And, um, and so I also, you know, as, as I got ready to go into high school, if, you, if people follow Colorado at all, I mean, I grew up in the summer, around the summers of violence, 94, 95. Right, absolutely, yeah. There was just a lot of, was a lot of gang violence, a lot of young men being killed. And, um, you know, and I just start having conversations with myself as I start seeing friends, you know, really close friends and family members be killed. Um, I just didn't, I didn't want that to be me. And I had to figure out what I was going to do, right? And so and that's when I started kind of deciding that I needed a new group of people. I needed a new environment. I needed something. And I just didn't quite know what it was. And um, the one thing that I did, you know, decently was sports. And so, you know, and I love football because I could hit people and not get in trouble for it. Um, And growing up, I wasn't the, the fastest or the best athlete, but I didn't quit and I was rough. And so I was a little dude playing offensive tackle for Prince Hall. Um, (laughs) Right. And, uh, you know, and as I was doing that, you know, found a, found a new group of friends, but, you know, they were all talking about going to Mullen High School, you know, and this was when I was like sixth grade. And so I started paying attention and then I started seeing these guys from our community, right? Guys like you, guys like Emmett, you know, and, uh, and I'm like, whoa, like they're going to this magical place. In my mind, Mullen was this magical place outside of the neighborhood right. that if I could just get there, you know, I would be okay. Um, and, um, you know, and I, I would love to say that, you know, the journey to get there was like some of the other folks, some of the other guys who went, you know, they were, they were really good athletes um, when we were younger. So they had coaches coming to look at them to, to uh, provide opportunities for them to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually didn't get that look. Right. And I didn't even understand that Mullen was a private school. Wow. I just, honestly, I thought Mullen was a football school. Right. I had no idea that it was a Catholic school that it was all this other stuff. And so I just signed myself up. I forged my mom's signature. Wow. I did the paperwork. Um, I went and took the test and I failed it and I didn't get accepted. Yes. And so this is, um, this is, um, you know, my eighth grade year. And so I was like, if I end up going to manual high school, the high school in my neighborhood, you know, it was going to, it was going to jump from delivering packages to being a full on gang member. Like there was just no way outside of it, you know, being in that environment, I wasn't going to, I didn't have the strength at that time to say no. Right. Um, I knew I needed space from that stuff. And, Mm -hmm. 
and as you know, man, if you, you got family and you got people and get involved in stuff, and if you try to be a bystander and say, I'm not in it, you get, you don't get it for not being in it. Right. right? Yeah. So, um, a, a good friend of mine got killed, um, you know, right, right before eighth grade was over. And I decided that I was like, all right, I'm gonna do something different. And uh, right when eighth grade was over, one morning, I don't know why well, I do know it was definitely God, you know, my guardian angel said, you know what, go to Mullen. Wow. And so I hopped on, you know, three buses to get to right. Mullen. Three, three bus trips. Y'all thought I was playing about it. Um, three bus rides from my neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> I get out to Mullen and I don't know what to expect. It's the summer. Yeah. Right. And so I hop off the bus, I walk up, I meet Vince Greco, who's the principal. Mm -hmm. And I say, hey, sir, I wanna come to school here. He's like, who are you? Yeah. I'm like, well, my name's Ryan and you know, I wanna, I wanna come to school here. And I was a little rough around the edges, so I didn't show up you know, in my nice dockers and my collared shirt. You know, I showed up in my Dickies and <laughs> in my white t-shirt. And he's looking at me like, dude, who are you? And I'm like, hey, I just wanna go to school here. you know." Um, you know, I play football, you know, whatever you need me to do. And he's like, well, it doesn't work that way. You got to take tests. I said, I took the test, but I failed the test. Yeah. Um, he, and so he's like, come on in. So he pulls my name up, realizes that I've applied and not been accepted. And he says, well, you know, there's nothing we can do. Maybe you can apply next year. And I'm like, all right, okay, this is, this is not going to work. So I left. And so I came back the next day wow. and the next day. And the next day, so I did this for two weeks. I came Ooh. back with a new pitch every day. Wow! Wow! Um, you know everything from let me shovel the snow to what if you don't really accept me, but I just sit in class. I mean, right, right. <laughs> like, talk about perseverance, man. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, he's like, "Who? This kid is crazy." And so the last day, I show up. I get off the bus, and uh, when you come up to Mullen, there's a horseshoe parking lot to the front door. And I see two police cars sitting there and I show up around the same time every day. So I'm like, oh, come on, man. Like, really? <laughs> right. Like, man, I ain't, I, ain't, I ain't bothered nobody. I'm just, you know, you're going to call the police on me. That was my assumption. And so and prior to that, he had never met me this day. He's like on the on the porch waiting for me to come. He's waving me over. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm good. I know. I know this. I know this story. Right. I'm not, about to, I'm not on your property, sir. I'm at the bus stop. I'm right. good. I'm not gonna come over there and get arrested. <laughs> and he's called Ryan, come here, come here. I'm like, nah, I'm good. And so I'm thinking to myself, all right, if I if I run to the right, I'm running into Fort Logan, and that's where you know uh, the mental institution is. And if I run to the left, I got to run into traffic because there's a really busy street, Hamden Avenue. But at that time, there were trees and a little swamp area. I'm like, all right, if I run back there. I know I can lose these police. I'm trying to figure out my escape. <laughs> right. right. Yep. This is real. Like I know I'm about to go to jail. And then, um, you know, then I see the police officers come out and they get in their cars and drive away. So now I'm confused and he's sitting there calling me over and I'm like, all right, I'm gonna go across the street. But if I see a car, I see another police officer, I'm out. Like I'm just gonna run. Cause you know, like not trying to go to jail today. And so when I get over there, he's like, what were you doing? I was like, man, the police were here. He was like, he was like, well, they're parents. I said, look, in my neighborhood, police are bad signs. I'm, yeah. Right. So and he's just like, oh yeah, this is gonna be interesting. There's somebody I want you to meet. So he takes me to his office, and um, I meet a gentleman named Larry Byrne. Right. And Mr. Byrne is from Chicago. Um, 
he's you know made he's had a successful career in healthcare and buying and selling companies and things of that nature. And long story short, he tells me, hey, I want to give this institution, I want to give Mullen some money, but I want it to be worthwhile, you know. And so, you know, in order to do that, I want to support some people who really deserve an opportunity. And it sounds like maybe you do. Wow. And uh, you know, my neighborhood didn't see a lot of white people. Right. And it's a Catholic school. So I start thinking about all the stereotypes. I'm like, hey, man, are you a priest? Don't, don't you end up offering me no candy, are you? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and he's like, okay, yeah, this is the kid. This guy's crazy. Like, <laughs> I, I want him here. And um, so he tells me, hey, look, all you have to do is put some skin in the game. If you pay the $350 registration fee, this first year of Mullen is on us. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa. And of course, I don't have three hundred and fifty dollars. And um, and so, you know, but I say, OK, I'm like, all right, y'all figure it out. And um, I got on the you know, got back on the bus, rode the three buses back to the to the neighborhood and and just made a decision that that was going to be the last time that I ever delivered dope. That's right. I, I went and I made some deliveries. I got four hundred dollars hmm. and uh, gave fifty dollars to my mom and uh, took $350, got a money order from 7-Eleven and took it back out to Mullen High School. And um, and that's how I got into Mullen. And my mom didn't even know I went to Mullen wow. until I was a sophomore. Wow, really? Yeah. Wow. She, she thought I went to Manual because my mom was not, she was, you know, she just wasn't very trusting of, of other communities just cause you know, just how bad it's been. and. And, um, you know, the whole Catholic thing and, the, and money and all that other yeah. stuff, like, I was just like, if she if she knows, she's going to tell me no. Right. And so for a year, um, I lied about where I went to school. Wow. That's powerful. <laughs> she found out. Wow. She found out because she seen me on the news. Really? Uh, after a football game, standing next to a good <laughs> friend of mine, Roman Hollowell, who was being interviewed, and I'm in the background. And she's watching the late night news and was like, <laughs> really? Yeah, that's how she found out. Man, that is absolutely fascinating. And, and Ryan, you know, for the folks out there, they've heard my story about growing up on the east side in Five Points in Denver, Colorado. Uh, talk to us about the feelings, man, that you, that you had to deal with. Because you, you were there um, during one of the most bloodiest uh, summers that uh, the neighborhood had had, man. What were the feelings that you were dealing with, man, in this area that felt like, you know, was unrelentless violence sometimes, you know? You know, man, it was a Charles Dickens novel. It was the best of times and the worst of times, right? It was the best of times because, you know, that's where I learned about loyalty and friendship. Right, absolutely. Right? Um, you know, I tell people all the time, say what you want about the inner city or gangs or things that you don't understand unless you've really been there. Right. But the first part of it was, you know, I, I had a family. Now right. we weren't built on the right principles or the right ordeals, but those guys had my back and I had theirs, right? right? And so that was, and we were all going through our own things at home. So that's what was good about it. But what was bad, man, it was despair because literally I, I every day I woke up, somebody was dead. Right, absolutely. Right, and so you gotta think about what that does to you from a mental health standpoint. Mm -hmm. When you are literally afraid to go across Colorado Boulevard right, or you know to go too far uh, west because you don't wanna be in a uh, in in the um, kind of the, the the Latin community because right. you know there was there was issues there and so you had to think about everywhere you were going, you know if you were going to go 
venture out and go to the mall or something. Think about what colors you're going to wear. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you didn't know when you woke up in the morning if you were going to come home that night because you don't know who was being targeted. Drive-bys every day. I mean, it was just unreal. And so what, what people weren't worried about is schoolwork. <laughs> you know, we weren't worried about some of those other things, the things that we really needed to be focused on to get out. Right. Um, but those things weren't, you know, they weren't important. And then, and for many of us, we were in schools where we had teachers who didn't value or didn't care, right, um, in my opinion, about what we were going to do. And so we weren't getting rigor. Um, and it's one of the things I appreciated about Mullen is because I was connected with a nun who had taken a vow of poverty, uh, chastity, and education. Right. And all she did was teach. Yes. And uh, may she rest in peace, uh, peace, Sister Brendan Jordan. I mean, right. that woman was one of the first people who I really considered outside of my my friends to be a caring adult in my village because she was the first person who was really honest to me um, about just why I was there and um, and what I needed to take advantage of. That's right. You know, Ryan, I'm, I'm so glad you brought up Sister Brendan, man. She was the person who, um, now for those of you who don't know, uh, myself and my, my good friend, LeJean Vivens, and a few of us, we were the first black kids to go out to Mullen from the east side of Denver. There were a lot of kids who went out there from Park Hill, Park Hill. The kids there were great kids, but tend to be a little bit better off financially than we were on the east side. So we got out there to Mullen, and many of us struggled academically. They, they created a, a program for us when I got to Mullen to help the kids who couldn't do the work academically as the other kids, the De La Salle program. But what Sister Brendan was telling me and my buddy LeJean Vivens was that we were opening up the door for other kids from our neighborhood to go out there and we had to go out there to make sure that it was gonna work. So uh, it's a blessing to see Ryan there. And he talks about a lot of the things, you know, we couldn't go across Colorado Boulevard because that was going to Park Hill, but there was a, a different gang there. And we didn't wanna, you know, put ourselves in a situation where we're gonna be, you know, in harm's way that, you know, but, um, you know, Ryan, as you think back to Sister Brendan, man, what type of advice did she give you? What was the best piece of advice she gave you? Because she was like a mother and a grandmother to me. And for you mm -hmm. educators out there to know, this was a white female who became this important to two black males who were from the inner cities of Denver, Colorado. What was, what was that she said to you, man, to keep you going, man? You know, I, I'll net, you know, uh, <laughs> Sister Brendan, listen here, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I, but I think the realest thing she ever told me was, you know, you have an opportunity to yeah. prove everybody wrong and to change your life, or you can come here and waste everybody's time and look good on Friday night a yeah. few times in your life. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was like, wow, you know, nobody had ever done that. But I think more importantly for me, it was Sister Brendan's actions. Yeah. Right. When I got, you know, so I got into Mullen a very non-traditional way. I already told you I didn't pass the test. I, I think maybe I got my name right. Okay. <laughs> it was bad. Um, Sister Brendan met with me starting that summer before my freshman year. She met with me every morning from 630 wow. to nine wow. to get me ready to just be in Della sale. Yeah. Right. Just to, just to, just to start um, high school. And then my freshman year, she met with me every day. Wow. Um, same thing. Six 30 school started at eight 20, six 30 to eight. And so that meant I was getting up, I was leaving my house three 45 in the morning. Wow. But um, you know, that time, 
that she invested into me, teaching me how to read again, teaching me prefixes and suffixes and, you know, critical thinking. And, you know, it was, it was amazing. So by the time I graduated, you know, I mean, the we diagram had diagram of sentence, right? How to diagram. Man, right? Yeah, diagram, all of that, man. Prayer. Yeah. Right. Prayer, like real prayer. Right. And, and it wasn't that, you know, hey, you're going to do Catholic prayers. I mean, we were doing, um, you know, indigenous prayers, Muslim prayers. I mean, we were just learning about the power um, of faith. Right. And, I, and, and, and so one other thing that she told me that's always stuck with me is she, when she said, when it comes to having faith, you have everything to gain and nothing to lose by believing in something greater than yourself. But you've got everything to lose and nothing to gain by just betting on you. That's right. And, uh, yeah, you know, like these kinds of lessons for, you know, 14, 15 year old were, were profound. And, you know, and, 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 you know, obviously years later, some of these things, I'm like, whoa, like yeah. this is what this is the kind of life this woman was speaking into me. Um, and then, you know, the other students who ended up being in De La Salle and my, and my friends who I played sports with, you know, we became a family. Right. and begin to hold each other accountable and have conversations like, look, you can do the East side stuff or we can come here and play football and go to college, right? Um, and so we begin to hold each other accountable and just, I mean, we, we're brothers. And I tell people all, all the time, my friends, my friends saved my life because right. they, they gave me the ultimatums. Like, look, we're going to go out here and do this thing or you're going to sit back and do that thing, but you can't do both. Right, right. Right. And, that, and that's, that's, real, that's real powerful, Ryan, you know, and for, for the folks who, again, aren't aware of the situation, we're, we grew up in the inner cities of, of Denver, Colorado, predominantly black neighborhood and went out to a predominantly white uh, high school. Talk about the dynamics, because that wasn't easy, you know. So what kept you motivated? Because I know there were times where even my sophomore year, me and Lejean, we were thinking about going back to Manuel, the neighborhood school, because the pressure was so great from the neighborhood and, you know, the white kids not knowing us out at Mullen High School. So talk to us about the pressure and what kept you motivated to keep going. Man, like real talk staying alive yeah like i mean when i when i tell you between i think 13 and 16 maybe i lost 60 60 friends mm. um either to to death or jail yeah and so and i just knew like that couldn't be me yeah. um and i had brothers and sisters who were under me and i needed them to see that there was something different in our neighborhood Right. Um, and that, and that, you know, different isn't always bad. And, you know, like I tell people all the time, it wasn't the fact that Mullen was a white school or a private school or a Catholic school. It was that it was a different environment Absolutely. that made me think and question things because the Mullen environment wasn't always great, you know, cause I was going there and felt like a raisin in a bowl of milk. Yeah. You know, kids walking around with Confederate belt buckles, yeah. um, you know, so dealt with racism there, but the reality was, I was being challenged and there there were, you know, now there were parents, you know, through my friends who, you know, played sports with, you know, they were holding me accountable, right? Like it was a new community. And so that's where I really learned the concept of what it means to have a village and that your village consists of the people you put in it, that's not right. necessarily the people who you're you're most exposed to. Right. And um and so that that piece was was really important. But um you know, and the other thing is because of sports, you know, and because of you, you guys honestly went there before us. And so you guys took some of those hits to say, ah, you got, you know, you a punk, you're going out there to this school, da, 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 da. Now it was like, yo, you wanted them mulling boys. Right. Okay. 
like, okay, so you can go. And, I, and at that point, I still was finding my athletic ability. But because I was there, you know, I was now on a different level. Like now some of the guys in the community, some of the dope boys was like, y'all, leave him alone. Right. Hey, you need some cleats. Right. Like, so now they were rooting for me and rooting for us to go out there and be successful because right. we became a beacon from our community for them to be proud of. And so, right. you know, Marsha Neville, Channel 4 News, you know, Friday night highlights, you know, that little five minutes, the, the, the whole hood stopped to kind of see us on the news, right? To see who's running the touchdown, like all, all that stuff. And so um, that also kept me going because then it was like, yo, you're different, man. Like, you know, we don't want to see you out on these streets anymore. Like you, you got to go do your thing. Um, and so that was helpful too, you know, and it was, you know, and just again, being exposed to new things and different um, and seeing a different side of life. Cause I was also the first time where I seen, you know, teenagers driving expensive cars and just seeing money. Um, you know, these are things that we never talked about cause we didn't have any. And so right. it, it, then I started to realize that I could have this, like I could have a family and, you know, we can have a luxury vehicle and a home and a backyard. Like right. I, didn't, I didn't have a backyard until I was a grown man. Yeah. Like people don't really appreciate what it means to come out of poverty, mm -hmm. you know? And so, so that, that's what some of those, those dynamics were. Uh, and then, you know, the other thing is, man, we have football coaches, you know, coach Jerome, yeah. um, you know, he made sure, you know, during football season, we get out of practice seven, eight o'clock at night, right. you know, he packed eight, nine of us up in his little car and get right. us all home. So we didn't have to take that three hour bus ride home. Cause that was on those days where you have to catch the bus to and from yeah. you leave three 45, four in the morning and not get home till nine, 10 o'clock. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So during football season in particular. Yeah. And, and you're so right, man. And I'm so glad that the community did embrace you. I was gone by that time. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, initially been in first wave, you know, people were saying, what are you doing taking your talents out to that white school? So mm -hmm. I'm glad we were able to pave the way for you guys to be embraced out there. So how would you say that experience, man, of coming from, from uh, east side of Denver, five points, man, uh, to Mullen, to where you are today, man, kind of shaped you as a person? You know, it, um, so, you know, I so what, what I like to tell people is, you know, I found my moral compass in my neighborhood, yeah, right? I, I figured out what it meant to really take care of my community and my family um, because I seen the damage that can be created when people are broken, right? right? So I really got to see that. And then I also um, had access to elders in the community, you know, and oftentimes we, we don't, we don't, we, we take older folks for granted and, um, you know, for whatever reason, that was something I, you know, I always, if I seen an older person, you know, I'm helping cross the street, I always ask the question. And so, you know, I, I, from, from those folks, that's where I begin to get black history. Yeah, absolutely. Right. To say, Hey man, you're, you're bigger than whatever's happening in this neighborhood. In fact, it was, it was a, a, a gentleman, older gentleman by the name of Glenn Younger, who gave me my first autobiography, which was Malcolm X. And then he gave me Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln. Um, so that's where I kind of got my moral compass and understood, you know, that, that black is beautiful. Yeah. And, and then from Mullen, what I be, what I got there was, um, rigor and high expectations, right? I, I had teachers who 
you know, pushed me beyond what I what I thought I was capable of and, and helped me learn how to learn. That's right. Because um, I didn't know how to study. I didn't know how to put together a paper. And so by the time I got to college, you know, we're like, oh, we got a 20 page paper due. I'm like, I've been writing 20 page papers right. for three years. Like, Absolutely. nothing. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'll see y'all at the club because yeah. <laughs> my paper is going to be done. Right. Um, but I, but I, so there I learned how to study and, and, and I met my friends. And I think that, you know, now we're all together, you know, we're raising our kids together. Um, we were very much a family and you don't get that going to a public school, right? Because we had to, we had to band together um, and really understand each other and be vulnerable with each other in ways that, you know, typically um, black men normally aren't. Normally, you know, we we push everything down, right? Um, but it was it was okay in this group of eight nine guys to say it was a rough night, man. My mom got beat up by my stepdad. I'm not. I'm I'm feeling some kind of way. Y'all got to help me because if one of these people say something crazy, then I'm gonna kill everybody, right? Like you just you know. But to have that center um, and that Mullen experience gave that to us because we had to turn into each other, and so. You know, we became not only friends but family, Absolutely. and um, you know, and 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 for that, you know, I'm always going to be grateful to Mullen because it created the environment where my best friends, you know, all of them have have been a part of every major milestone in my life since I've been 15, 16 years old. Absolutely, man, that's that's beautiful. Lifelong friends and the friendships you got there are incredible. As you mm -hmm. look back on your journey, man, would would you do anything differently? You know, honestly, no. That's a good answer, yeah. No, I mean, every experience, every choice, good and bad, you know, they put me on a path to be who I am now. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I really like who I am. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and I like what I've been able to do. Um, you know, the journey hasn't been easy. You know, I, you know, when I got to college, you know, I had to, you know, I got into therapy. Um, I mean, I had to see, I had to see a, 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 a therapist for two and a half years just to deal with some of the anger and sure. some of the things I had been through. Um, and, and now as a professional, I tell people all the time, go sit on a couch. I see a therapist at least once a month on a minimum because mental health is important um, and taking care of ourselves is important. And, and, you know, I wouldn't have come to that, you know, if I changed anything about my life. Sure. And so, and then I'm also, you know, it also allows me to be able to be vulnerable and speak publicly about like, hey, you don't have to have a diagnosed disorder to go talk to a therapist. You Absolutely. know, yeah. life is your diagnosis and being able to process these things um, and take care of your psyche and your spirit is really, really important. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's so profound because folks out there, um, if you are going through something, definitely know that it is okay to seek professional help as well. So Ryan, we're coming off of a, a, a situation here where we're coming off one of the toughest years, man. A lot of people facing some time. They lost possessions, lost um, positions, lost loved ones, lost confidence, man. What type of advice can you give them to let them know that a brighter day is going to come? Yeah, man. You know what? What I what I like to tell people right now is is you're the superhero you've been waiting for. Yeah. Right. Like what I what I've learned about trials and tribulations is you know, this is where you get to find out who you are, right? And this is where you get to tap into your resilience. Um, but more importantly, this is where you have to take time to fall back in love with yourself 
yes. and, and take care of yourself, right? Because we get caught up in all these things that really don't matter, you know, possessions, um, you know, what kind of car you drive, what kind of home you have, you know, the reality is um, if you take all those things away, you still have you. Yeah. Absolutely. And so if you begin to recenter and figure out what happiness means for you and understand that happiness, um, yeah, I, 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 I equate it to be to have versus have to be, right? So you have to be in order to have, Absolutely. but you don't have to have in order to be. Yeah, that's right. Right. And so if you can just be, right, and begin to think about what it means to take care of yourself, meditation, breathing, um, finding joy in the moments instead of the things, that's how you get through this stuff. Because yeah. um, it's, it's tough, and, you know, and it's not going to, you know, oftentimes it's not going to get easier. But if you can learn to understand, you know, where your happiness really comes from and take care of you and engage with your family, um, you know, suddenly some of the other things don't matter as much because wow. you get to find out what being rich really is. Yes. Um, and it's not possessions. Yes. Boy, Dr. Ryan Ross, man, great job, brother. If, if, if folks, if y'all not pumped up after hearing Ryan's story, man, I'm not sure what's going on with you. But if you're looking for a speaker, man, someone to guide you, a coach, you got to reach out to him. Again, Dr. Ross, if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to get a hold of you? And you can reach me on social media uh, at Doc Ryan Ross at D-O-C-R-Y-R-O-S-S -S on Instagram. Um, you can just email me directly, ryan.ross at ulfcolorado.org. Um, and, and, and then I'm on, I'm on all the platforms. So just Ryan E. Ross or Ryan Ross, I pop up and uh, just get with me and would love to engage with you, support you, help you in any way that I can. That's awesome. So, so Dr. Ross, we, we talked about some tough stuff. You ready to have some fun? Yeah. All right, here we go. Absolutely. So all right, this portion of the show is called the rapid fire purpose questions, all right? So okay. what I'm going to do is simply ask you some questions around purpose. And I'm just going to ask you to give us your best answer. I'm not going to elaborate on any other questions. Just give me and the audience your best answer, all right? Okay. Here we go. Dr. Ryan, talk to us and tell us how you've turned a dream into reality. Action. Okay. I just get, is it just one word or? You can give us an example if you want as well. Oh, yeah. Action. Um, you know, uh, a good example is is my son. We we talked about um, you know purpose and vision, and so and, and being able to share that with others and in a way that people will receive it. And he said, you know, Dad, everybody doesn't always want to hear speech. Sometimes people want to hear music. So I said, well, then make some. Yeah. And and so now my eleven year old son is is rapping about passion, really? purpose, vision, and drive. It's just amazing. Really? <laughs> yeah. Didn't send me. I want to check it out, man. I, I, may I will. Even have him on, I may even have him on the show as well. So I want to talk to him. But yeah. What gives your life meaning? My children. Okay. Love my kids. There's no greater gift or responsibility um, than having some cubs that you have to take care of. That's right. That's right. If money wasn't an issue, what would you do with your time? Read. Yeah. Good. <laughs> yes. I would just, I would read all the time. What word best describes you? Happy. Okay. What problem do you want to solve in our world? Um, injustice and racism. Okay. What was your favorite thing to do as a kid? Believe it or not, collect rocks. That's my secret that okay. I can now share that the hood would have <laughs> sacrificed me for if they knew I was running around collecting rocks. That's what I'm talking about. Something different there. Good. What do you wish you had more time to do? Travel. 
Okay. What does your 15 year old self imagine you'd be doing right now? My 15 year old self probably didn't think I'd be here. And so, um, you know, I think my 15 year old self would be, would be pretty impressed yes. um, for sure. Absolutely. Who inspires you the most? You know, I got to go back to my children on that again. Um, there's a lot of people who inspire me, but none more than Gavin and Zoe. Yeah. What's on your bucket list to do within the next year? Jump out of an airplane. Okay. That's courageous right there. I love it. Yeah. What's something you'll spend your time doing no matter what? Having fun um, with, with my friends and my family. Right. Like I always, always make time for that no matter what. Good. Um, what, what do you want your grandchildren to say about you? That boy fly. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but seriously, no, I, I want my, my grandchildren to, to, to just be able to um, say that, you know, I was able to start legacy in our family. I love it. If you were a superhero, what would your superpower be? It's funny you say that. If you look at behind me here. See there, picture, I see there. Uh, no, that's my black superhero mural. And if you look real close, there's a red guy with a diamond in the K. That's myself. I put myself up there as a superhero. Wow. Um, wow. So I'm I'm really into comics. Um, but my superpower would be the ability to change superpowers as necessary for the situation. Okay. I love it. I love it. What do you love to learn about? Um, I love to learn about history. What sparks your creativity? Music. Okay. If you became president today, what law would you pass first? Bow ties would be official on <laughs> Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, no, seriously, the first thing that I would, the first thing that I would pass um, is education would be free for every citizen who wanted an education. Mm -hmm. I like that. Good. You got, you got a lot of supporters behind that. If you could follow someone around for a day, who would it be and why? Mm, that's a good one. I think, oof. Ooh, that's tough. There's so many. I, you know, honestly, I think it would have to be um, Harriet Tubman on the Underground Railroad. I like that. Why? You know, I just think about what it had to take in order to be a leader, to lead people to freedom who were afraid to, to go and afraid and didn't and, and not even having the ability to see or vision what freedom looked like. So you had to give them the vision, keep them going, hold them accountable, yeah. make them believe in you, and then even have to get tough at times. Yes. And, and to do that on the move and not have, um, everything that you need, food, shelter, and, and figuring that out. Like that would have to be just the ultimate leadership experience. I love it, I love it. What's been the best compliment you've ever received? I think actually recently I got a, comp, I got a compliment. I got an email from someone who says, who said that, you know, my work in equity um, has inspired them to, to advocate for themselves hmm. and, um, I think that might be the, the best compliment because uh, for me, that means that, you know, my existence is, 
is creating an opportunity for, for people to be better and, and to believe in themselves and to fight for themselves. That's a good one. I love it. What's been the one thing you have never been afraid to do? Speak my truth. What moment from your childhood are you most proud of? Hmm. You know, I think Mm, wow. I would have to be, I think, you know, I think it would have to be the the very first day I got off of that bus to go to Mullen. Yeah. Because, I mean, there were so many emotions and I wasn't quite sure what was happening, but that was one of the defining moments in my life where I was officially taking charge of who I was going to be. Yes. What does success look like for you? Success looks like smiling. Yes. For the people who know you best, what would they say your purpose is in life? To help others. Okay. What are you most grateful for? My kids. <laughs> What's been the biggest lesson you have learned in life? Um, you know, it's it's a it's a Rocky Balboa a Rocky Balboa statement, right? It's not how hard you get hit. It's about, you know getting up after being hit hard. Yes, I love it. And last but not least, how do you want to be remembered in history? You know, I just want to be remembered as someone who inspired service in the public's interest. Man, I love it. Give yourself a round of applause, Dr. Ryan Ross, man. Awesome job. You made it through, brother. Thank you so much for having me. You should be pumped up after hearing Dr. Ryan Ross's story. Now, I got to throw in this caveat as well, though. We are both um, from the same neighborhood, went to the same high school, uh, unfortunately, Ryan trolls the other fraternity. Kappa Alpha, what is it? Kappa? What is it? Where's y'all's word? Kappa Alpha Psi. Go, go ahead, Sage. You know, instead you know, of, that rolls off instead of Omega Psi Phi, same year, he went to the wrong fraternity, though. But I still love him dearly, man. <laughs> love him dearly, man. So I appreciate you coming on. So, uh, Dr. Ryan Ross, as we uh, get ready to close things off on the show here, the, the focus of our podcast is on two things on purpose and resiliency mm -hmm. what last words can you leave our audience around purpose and resiliency so when it comes to purpose you have to remember that we are here to flex our purpose and not our power yeah right and that's really really important um and as it relates to resiliency um it's just it's important to remember that um sometimes we all have a light and sometimes it can be broken, but that doesn't mean that we don't exist anymore. And moving forward, overcoming obstacles, um, you can still do those things and still be wounded and that's okay. Yes. Take the time to nurture yourself and take care of yourself and heal and, and heal in addition to being resilient. Don't do one without the other, yes. um, otherwise you won't be complete. Yeah, very well said. Great advice, man. Folks out there, again, reach out to Dr. Ryan Ross, my friend, my homeboy, if you're looking for a speaker or what have you. If you're someone out there and you've overcome obstacles, have an amazing story, we want to hear from you at tawatson.com. Subscribe to our podcast, Resilient Stories. Download this episode, rate it, share it with your folks on social media. And again, um, I want to thank all of you for joining in today. Dr. Ryan Ross, thank you very much for joining me, brother. I appreciate it. It's an honor to have you on. Thank Everyone you. else out there, God bless. Yours truly, Dr. Watson. My